Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afzon, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftin from Linksfield Shul, and it's a pleasure and an honor to be here on this Tuesday afternoon and to be able to forbring it. So I have to be honest, I had a whole forbring in mind that I wanted to forbring about, but then something happened in my life, a private event, um, and it just... It inspired me, and one thing I know about forbringing, whether it's face-to-face or on the radio, is you have to talk from an authentic place. And my authentic place right now is in a a very uh, genealogical, um, weird zone. Now, I'll be honest, if I thought that this uh, story was uninteresting to the listeners, then I would say, you know what, lady, your issues don't have anything to do with anybody else. But I think there's a very powerful lesson. Um, that can be taken both for what we're going through in general and the fact that we're getting closer to Rosh Hashanah from a very unusual story that I'm living in, my family's living in currently. If you've been listening to the Fabringen over the years, you know that I've shared various stories of my family. Um, specifically, I've focused on my maternal family and on Tisha B'Av, I spoke about my grandparents and their incredible story, my maternal grandparents. But on the other side, from my father's side, the Aftsen side, there's an incredible story that's literally still being unpacked as we speak. And what happened today and generated this insight is finding a new relative. Um, and not like a far distant relative, like a fourth or eighth cousin, but literally uh, this woman in Israel who her father and my father were first cousins, And my grandfather and her grandfather were brothers. And we didn't know each other existed. And not only me, but my entire side of the family had no idea that this woman existed. And then we were having a chat, and we were talking in Hebrew over the last few hours, kind of made contact on Facebook. Yesterday, over the long weekend, I got a bit into my genealogical passion, went on my heritage.com website, started doing a bit of, you know, cuffing, a bit of work, and things just came together, and suddenly this morning I'm chatting with a cousin, a second cousin, who we both didn't know existed. And you might sit there saying, okay, you know, Rabbi, we've heard faribal stories before. We've heard about families who uh, don't talk. No, this isn't a faribal. It's a very unusual story, a very different story. Literally did not know that each other existed on this planet, that there was such a person on this planet. Why? Well, it's an old story, but a very current story. It starts with a family living in Russia, in the Kharkov region, in a city called Mirgorod. And over there, there was a tailor. His name was Gershon, and his wife's name was Esther. And they were simple, simple family, very um, unstated. And they had eight children. Now, where this family comes from, it's still a bit of a a mystery. Like we know his parents' name, we know her parents' name, we know that her father was drafted into the Russian army for 20 years, came out and got married after that, what was called a cantonist. And this 
lovely Jewish family was raising their kids peacefully, and then the communist revolution took place just over a hundred years ago. And during that phase, one of their sons, his name was Aaron or Arkadi, died. And there seems to be a bit of a debate amongst the family how he died. According to one version, the communists hung him from a tree. According to another version, he was just shot in a crossfire. But it seems to have been quite a tragic episode. And they had seven children left. And the second to the youngest in his family was a boy named Mayer later to be my grandfather. Now, at a young age, Meir developed a passion for religion and a passion for Torah learning. So his parents sent him off to study in a yeshiva, in, in a uh, academy for learning. And little did they know that in many ways they were saving his life. What happens is, and here's where the story really gets weird, he goes off to yeshiva, and eventually, this is during communists, so studying Torah was illegal. And my grandfather gets arrested and sent away to a Siberian camp, Soviet camp. He spends three years there, gets arrested another time, spends a little while there as well. And... I never knew, the family didn't know the story, but the story comes that at some stage he came back to the family. He came back to his siblings and his, his parents and he says, um, can you take me in? But the problem was that the government warned the family that if your brother ever shows up and shows his face, you have to give him into the government because he was a counter-revolutionary. He was a religious Jew. So my great aunt, my grandfather's mother, uh, sister, and again, all the story I'm just uncovering now in the last year or two, takes all the jewelry in the house and sells it, pawns it, and gives it to my grandfather and says, Mayor, you have to go. If you stay here, it's dangerous. The government will come get you. So Mayor is forced to leave. And for the next many years, my great aunt was devastated and she was broken because she thought that she sent her brother to his death. She didn't hear about, of him again for many years, pretty much forever. But uh, I'll share the story as it unfolds. Now, my grandfather, as I said, was arrested once, twice, and eventually he makes it over to the east, the east of the Russian Soviet Empire in Uzbekistan, and he's already a, an older bachelor. He's in his young 30s, never married. Um, didn't really, had no family, had no contact with his family. Thought his family had been killed in the war. Indeed, his father had died on the side of the road um, during World War II, running away from the Nazis. His mother had survived, but he had no idea. And... Eventually, someone sets him up with a shidduch with a, a girl 13 years younger than him, my grandmother. And they get married. They have their first child in Russia. And an opportunity comes right after World War II where anybody who had Polish citizenship and had run into the Russian frontier during the war was able to leave and go back 
So what many people did is they faked Russian Polish passports or they found Polish people who had died and they took their passports of people who didn't want to return to Poland and they managed to escape. And this is how my grandfather and grandmother managed to leave. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, my other grandparents couldn't leave and they were stuck in Russia for another 20 years. But my grandparents leave. They make it over to a DP camp, a displaced person camp, and eventually they settle in France in some kind of DP camp. And they spend quite a few years there, about six, seven years, and they have five children, five more children, six, they have six children in total. And eventually in 1956, the, the joint manages to bring over the family to the United States and settles them in Detroit, Michigan. Now, all this time, my grandfather is convinced that his whole family is killed by the Nazis, gone. So he had already named a daughter after his mom, thinking his mother was dead. But the truth was, his mother was very much alive. His mother lived till the mid-60s, but she was beyond the Soviet curtain, and therefore my grandfather had no idea that she was alive. With most of her family, most of her children survived, I believe all her children, besides the one who died in World War I, they all survived the war, each one in their own unique way. Um, and he had six siblings living in Russia, five siblings, sorry, who he had no idea they existed he had no idea that they were alive. He had no idea that he has brothers and sisters living on the other side of the world. Again, this is not cousins or second cousins. This is siblings and a mother. No idea. And he would only find out that they were alive after all of them had passed away. In other words, only towards the end of my grandfather's life, when he was in his 90s already, a few years before he passed away, did he discover that his mother had been alive when he thought was dead, and all his siblings, who had by now passed away, had also been alive. So for 50 years, two sides of the family did not know each other existed. But that's not even the whole story. I have to, there's so much more to tell you, <laughs> and there's so many lessons to unpack. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.95 FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Yatsen from Linksfield Show. And just before the break and that medley that we played, I was sharing a story about, uh, it's a family story, but I think it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story of, of the last hundred years. And if you're listening to the songs, the, the final song that was played was How Are You Doing Nikolai? It's a letter written by a, a kid living in the free world to his Jewish brother in Russia. It's a theoretical letter. And like, you know, feeling his pain. And that's very much a story of my family. It was my, as I mentioned, my grandfather, grandmother managed to get out of Russia in 1946. Uh, that's after my grandfather spent quite a few years in Soviet prisons just because he was a religious Jew and was teaching Torah. And eventually they make it to Detroit, Michigan. And they ended up having nine more children, which is a study, a story for another time. They had 15 kids, Kenai Nahara and 120 grandchildren, and the family continues to grow pretty much on a daily basis. Now, during this whole time, his his family was 
living in his his mother and sisters and brother brothers were living in the Ukraine and various parts of the Soviet Union unaware that they had a brother that actually survived. They thought he had died in the war. And the story goes that at some stage, one of someone in the family, one of the nephews, niece, uh, one of the nephews, wanted to apply to be in the Soviet police. And he comes and he applies there and they say, you are not accepted because you have a relative who lives in America. You have an uncle who's in America. And therefore, you're not loyal to the Soviet cause. And that's the way the family found out that they had an uncle um, that my grandfather had survived. But they had no way of contacting him. They had no idea where he was. But the only people who knew he was alive was this, was the KGB. And it's interesting because for many years, my grandfather was convinced that the KGB was following him. And even though he lived in Detroit, Michigan, he would lock his door with, you know, five, six, seven locks every night. Um, scared that the Russians are chasing him. And, you know, having spent years in prison and watching his friends shot, you can imagine the absolute, you know, fear that he had from just knowing that they're after him. And the truth was that his fears were not totally unfounded. They knew exactly where he was. Thank God they spared him and they didn't do anything to him, but they were following him and they, his poor nephew wanted to get a job somewhere in Ukraine, couldn't get a job because his uncle was living in, Detroit, they didn't even know this uncle existed. They didn't know anything about him. But pretty much that's all they knew. They knew that he survived and then made it out to the other side. But the whole family kept on, you know, the, the wheels kept spinning, even though they were living beyond the Soviet Union, uh, beyond the Soviet Iron Wall. They built families. Um, one of my, my uncles, his wife died during the war. He got remarried. And... Yeah, nobody had 15 kids like my grandfather, um, but they, the, the family group, two of my grandfather's um, sisters never married. One of them, the older one, never married, and the younger sister just felt like she, she owes it to her sister to allow her to go first, and she never married either. Um, and like when I saw pictures of them for the first time about a year ago, it was absolutely unnerving look exactly like my grandfather and many of my aunts look exactly like their aunts. It's like a very unnerving experience. And slowly but surely started unpacking. So, so here's the story. So in the, in the late nineties, my grandfather, my uncle, one of my uncles is doing work in the former Soviet Union. This is after the Iron Wall comes down and his name is Aftsen. So somebody mentions, Oh, I know an Aftsen who's related, except uh, that, that has the same surname. And my uncle comes in contact with some of his cousins. By then, all his uncles and aunts have passed away. Come, comes in contact with a few of his cousins, but he kind of loses contact very soon after. And since ninety-seven, ninety-eight, all contact was lost. And even then, he just managed to get to know a few details. At that stage, my grandfather was still alive. His niece, um, who my uncle met, recorded on a tape. Her life story and he recorded on a tape his life story there was no email uh, whatever email wasn't really there those days so like my uncle brought back a tape from my grandfather to that side and from them to back to my grandfather and they at least managed to hear each other's story for the first time but then all contact was lost and when i i developed the genealogy bug a few years ago i reached out to my uncle and he had very little to work with very little data very little information and i pretty much started going hitting brick walls, wall after wall, just like not not getting anywhere, discovering 
very far relatives, but nobody that's like is a close relative. Anybody, I was looking for my grandfather's siblings and their children and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, like really close family, and I couldn't find anybody. And myheritage.com is quite an expensive um, website to register for if you want all the perks. And at some stage, I, I decide I'm quitting. Like it was $200 a year, $250 a year. It's like I, I could use my, my money better and I haven't found anything. I quit. That very same day, I get a, and I mean the very same day, three hours later, I get an email from a woman who I had met and my heritage years ago, who wasn't a relative, but a relative of a far relative, who says, I found family. I found your family. So literally an hour after, three hours after I signed off my heritage, I sent them an email and said, I'm back on. <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was, it was like an unnerving experience. Like at some stage, I'm like, I give up and God says, okay, you did everything you could do. And now I'll give you a break. Um, and then suddenly the information starts flowing and flowing and flowing and suddenly pictures of my grandfather's siblings and, and, and a picture of his, my great grandparents. And uh, we had one or two pictures, but much more pictures. And really, who my grand, my, my grandfather's siblings are. Again, I'm not talking about like far family. And this is something that no one in the family knew. None of my uncles and aunts, none of my cousins on this side of the family knew any of this, never saw any of these pictures. It was just mind boggling. And start developing relationships. And we eventually meet one cousin and a second cousin, etc. And I, I developed, you know, a bit of an excitement, which la was last year in 2020 at the beginning of lockdown. So I had a lot of time on my hands and prepared a presentation and I shared it with the family. And then pretty much I put it to bed, you know, life moved on. Um, yesterday, um, I have a bit of time on the long weekend and I go to, go to do my hobby, my hobby genealogy. So go back to my heritage, start squeezing here and there. And I discover, um, a name often who lives in Israel. I, at this stage, I think I couldn't figure out how they're related. Anyways, I put two and two together and I realized that she is my second cousin, a, a girl named Maya living in Herzliya. That means our fathers are first cousins and our grandfathers are brothers. And I reach out and like, you know, nervous, will she make contact? Will she not? And she, she, she makes contact. And suddenly like this morning, we're starting to share information and literally five seconds before I came on the radio, she starts WhatsApping me pictures that from her family, from her father, from her grandfather, which is my great uncle pictures. I never saw that my family never saw. And literally coming to life, she sent me pictures of her beautiful children, um, of her brother and his lovely family also in Israel. And like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm saying, my gosh, I have relatives in Israel. I have an uncle in Israel who has no idea that his cousin's children are living in Israel. And my grandfather for many years, and here's really where I, where I, I, I kind of come to the punchline. Um, in other words, I, I start unpacking it from a personal story to more, more than a personal story. This is a story that took place almost a hundred years ago when my grandfather went off to yeshiva. This was in the 1920s. He managed to see his family maybe one more time in the 1930s and then never saw them again. 
and goes and builds his life and has no idea that his flesh and blood are alive and, and growing and raising their own families behind the Soviet curtain. And a hundred years later, in 2021, the family's getting to know each other. The family's getting to know that each other exists. I'm having a chat with her. and like this, this woman who I'm chatting this morning. She says, when I told her how large the family is on our side, she says, my gosh, when I got married in Israel, she says, and the Rabbanut asked me to prove my Judaism. I only had, they only asked me for my mother's side, for my father's side, which is Aftson. I had no idea what to share. I had no, I had nothing to share. And thank God they had nothing. They didn't ask me. But now I realize like what kind of family it is. And she says years ago, somebody walks over to her in Israel and says, are you related to the Aftsons in Brooklyn? The Aftsons in Brooklyn are a big family. I mean, as I said, my father's one of 15. There's a lot of Aftsons in Brooklyn, that much I could tell you. And she's, she says, she starts laughing. Not Aftsons in Brooklyn. What do I have to do with Aftsons in Brooklyn? I'm a Russian family. <laughs> and like today, she's like, she's like, give me time to process this. This is crazy. Like I come from a family. I have rabbis in my family. <laughs> um, like the whole, just this very surreal conversation about my age, um, living in Israel. And again, we're, our parents are first cousins, our grandfathers are brothers. And for me, it tells me something. It, 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 it says that we often come to conclusions and think we, we know what's going on on a very short term. Um, reality. In other words, we start unpacking our lives and start to convince ourselves we know why things happen or we give up on knowing why things happen. But we, we, we don't realize there's a big master plan. There's, there, that there's a big, there's a big God. It's a God, a big, a big God who has a plan. And for whatever reason, God's plan was that my grandfather would make it out and be able to raise a family on one side of the world. And the, the other side of the family continues their journey. And a hundred years later, the family reconnects and finds each other after, after so many decades. And the, and the family starts sharing and, and, you know, rebuilding. And for these people who, who witnessed everything, they, they witnessed the war, they witnessed the Soviet Union, they, they witnessed tremendous agony and pain, and they think, Will there ever come an end? Will there ever, will their descendants ever come and, um, you know, be able to live free lives? And right now, my grandfather's ch- uh, son and grandchildren are living in Israel, and his brother's grandchildren are living in Israel. And hopefully I'll arrange a meeting soon. So in this time that we live, in, in this difficult time of COVID, etc. Please God, things are slightly getting a little better and we pray for every every small gift we say thank you. I always remember that line from the Chinaman. I've shared it many times on the show, where they asked the Chinaman, what does he say about the American Revolution? And he smiles and he says, it's too soon to tell. <laughs> you know, they have thousands of years behind them, like America has 250 years, yay. And, and there's a point there. In other words, what, when you look at our past, it gives incredible inspiration for the present and for the future. At least it does for me. When I think about everything my family's been through and the odds that I should be alive today, my siblings, my family, my children, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Each one of my grandparents, their own unbelievable story of survival. And yet 
I'm here. And then, and that just tells me Hashem has a plan. We often don't like the plan. We often struggle with it. But just knowing that there's a loving God who has a plan and seeing in hindsight how some of his plans are unfurling, unpacking, for me, offers incredible inspiration, as I hope it does for you. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Shul. And we've been sharing a family story, uh, with, which would, I, I believe, a very powerful lesson to unpack. I want to connect it now to the time of the year that we find ourselves in. In four weeks from today is Rosh Hashanah. Right? That's it. In four weeks from today, believe it or not, is Rosh Hashanah. First day Rosh Hashanah, which is pretty amazing. And six weeks of Sukkot, etc. But we're in the time of connection, high holidays. We started blowing the shofar yesterday. An idea of coming back. And for me, the Soviet story, the Jews of the, the behind the Iron Curtain, is an incredible story of 70 years of Judaism being squished out of them, literally forced out of them, and yet it bursting, bursting back. And my family is a prime example. The fact that I have not just these relatives, I have many relatives living in Israel now who for 70 years were behind the Iron Curtain. I was asking my cousin when she came up. She came up in Israel from 94, and her mother then came in 96, and her brother. And this is after 70 years, over plus, of Yiddishkeit being forcefully squeezed out. As I said, my grandfather was arrested um, and many of his friends were shot simply for teaching Torah. That's how aggressive their campaign against Judaism was. And my, my other grandfather suffered tremendously raising his kid. And many of my great uncles from my mo- mother's side, um, two to be exact, were shot simply in 1938, simply for being rabbis, um, which is just crazy. And yet, after 70 years, the neshama is bursting back, and Judaism in Russia today is flourishing, and Judaism within Russian Jews all over the world is flourishing. And it says something. It says something about the soul. It says something about how you can never extinguish a soul, how that neshama, that beautiful neshama is there and on fire. And for me, it offers incredible hope. If 70 years and generations later, people are coming back, it says that we underestimate ourselves because these are not just people over there. This is us. This is our story. This is the story of our soul, that we have this incredible potential, this incredible ability to reconnect no matter how far you go. When we were, when we were younger, we had a song in Cambridge and it had this rhyme that says, wherever, no matter where you roam, you can always come back home. And in my family story, I see that. I see it in, 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 in real time. I see it in me engaging in a relative that we had, that our families had nothing to do with each other for 90 years. And now we're engaging and we're reconnecting and, you know, talking about Judaism and talking about our, our story, it gives me such hope. It truly gives me hope for myself 
not for others. I'm not one of those people that, you know, has to sit there solving, you know, coming up with solutions, how to solve all the problems of everybody else. Where people sit there saying, gives me hope for the Jewish future. God's taking care of the Jewish future. It gives me hope in my little circle. It gives me hope in my little world. It gives me hope for myself and for the people I engage with that you never know. You never know. It could take years. It could take decades. It could take generations. But that soul is on fire. I remember I had a small episode years back. I was in um, Manhattan doing uh, outreach on a Sukkot, on the Chag Sukkot. And I have a lulav and an etrog. And we're going around offering people, are, are you Jewish? And I meet this one woman with a non-American accent. And she starts telling me, no, I'm not Jewish, but I had a great-grandmother who was. I was like, okay, what are the odds that the great-grandmother is her mother's mother's mother? Indeed it was. She had no idea that she was Jewish because her mother's mother's mother was Jewish, and by extension, she was. And when she finds out that she's Jewish, she's like blown away. She's like, what do you mean I'm Jewish? Like, I'm Polish. I'm like, no, no, you're Jewish. And we shook the wolf together, together and just connected. And I think to myself, you know, her great-grandmother long past must be sitting in heaven and feeling some sense of victory that it took generations. But her, grand, her great-grandmother was standing on Manhattan Street and shaking the wolf with an estrog. If that's not the beauty of Netzach Yisrael, the eternity of our nation, and Am Yisrael Chai, then what is? And my family story is for me exactly just that. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. Over the show, I've been talking about the long arc of history and how things come full circle. The final point I'm going to bring is actually going to be brought out through a song. It's a song called A Night a Soul Was Saved. And it's a magnificent song written by a friend of mine who's a rabbi in Florida. And it's based on an episode in the Talmud of a certain woman named Miriam Bas Bilga, Miriam the daughter of Bilga, who acted very disrespectfully at the destruction of the temple. She was married to a Greek minister who was involved in, in, this, in causing destruction and she thumps her foot on the altar and she kind of screams at the altar and her behavior caused incredible embarrassment to her family so much so that her family and her father's family was no longer able to have certain privileges in the temple even though the, technically they did nothing wrong um, but just you know because the, the daughter of that family had ended up so far gone and in the 1970s, literally 2,000 plus years after this episode happened, the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, was having a farbringen. He was having a, a talk, and he reinterpreted the whole story in a different way, and in a way that that showed that even this far lost soul still had an neshama and still her intentions were pure. And that's really what this, the story of this song is about. It's called A Night a Soul Was Saved. And it's an absolutely magnificent song sung by Benny Friedman. Wishing you and yours a great day. I hope that the story shared today has some relevance to you. 
and some of the excitement that I feel from the story can pass over to the listener. God bless you. Have a great day. And thank you for being with us.